we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Is there an action that is correct under all circumstances, not based on values? Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the philosopher's talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is values. Upcoming themes are the mind, order and fulfilment. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust based at Brockwood Park in the UK, which is also home to the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre. Situated in the beautiful countryside of the South Downs National Park, the Krishnamurti Centre offers quiet retreats for those wishing to inquire into themselves in the light of Krishnamurti's teachings. Please visit krishnamurticentre.org.uk for more information. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which helps its visibility. This week's episode on values has three sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Rajgat, 1969, titled Question Your Values and Traditions. You know what is happening in the world? Great technological changes are taking place. Fantastic things are being done at the technological level, at the level of uh, electronics, computers, going to the moon, living under the sea, conquering nature. They are doing the most extraordinary thing, the scientists, the doctors, the mathematicians, the biologists. And that is producing a great revolution, because you cannot advance technologically unless there is a great physical change is also taking place. And also, if you have read or observed, you will see that there are great many revolts in America, in Europe, 
revolt against the established order, against tradition, against authority, against the whole setup of modern civilization. They, they, they express this revolt, the students and the young people, by going long hair, hair up to their shoulders, putting on any old clothes, dirty, squalid, not wanting to work. And there are others who want to work, and therefore they say, we will go away from the society and have our own communes, small groups of people who will cultivate, build, look after themselves. They may not marry, they, and yet may have children. So there is all this so-called a revolt against the established order. You are understanding all this? And also there is religion, that is, organized religion, like Catholicism, Protestantism, and other, like Hinduism, Buddhism, and so on, all these religions are collapsing, they are going. They have no longer, they don't hold man anymore. When I was there about a month ago in Rome, you know where Rome is, of course. And as I understand Italian, I was watching a television, and there the Pope and all the cardinals, some of the cardinals, the high officials of the Church were talking about something nobody was interested in. The Church is going. The religious organizations throughout the world are collapsing. There is everywhere in India, even in Russia where there is dictatorship, and in China where also there is the authoritarian government, there too there is a great undercurrent of revolt. Last year, if you remember, there was a revolt in Paris by young people, students, whom we happen to, some of them we happen to know. And they didn't want violence, they didn't want to upset the government, but they said things must be changed. But the outside people got hold of it and began to create violence and all that. So there it is. Right throughout the world, there is deep unrest. Nobody is accepting anymore what another says. More, many young people don't want to go and join the army and kill people. They don't want either to go into an office 
and for the rest of one's 40, 50 years working in office, day after day, day after day, because they say that's not living, in that there is no fun. And women, please bear in mind carefully, women are in revolt too. They don't want to be treated like women, as something lower. They don't want to be used sexually or otherwise. They want equal, equal, equality, equal wages. So this is happening right through the world, perhaps not in this country. Here there is much more tradition, weighed down by authority. Last year, or year before last, when I was here, I asked several students what they wanted to do. Oh, they said, my father wants me to be an engineer, so I'm going to be an engineer. You understand? The father decides what the son should be, and the son just follows. Or the father says, you must marry so-and-so, and the son says, all right, father, I will. Here there is no revolt. There is no gap between the older generation and the younger generation. The revolt, if there is, being very traditional, they go off into, mon into ashramas, you know, with gurus, with their peculiarities. They end up there. That's their expression of revolt. Because they see, what is the point of all this? They're, they obey authority. That therefore the, these ashramas become concentration camps. You know what concentration camps are? I'm afraid you don't. All right. So it's like that. Everywhere man is in travail. Everywhere man is questioning, asking, demanding, looking, searching, discontent. We spoke in California and many of the universities, and in the East. There again you will, you will see the young people so distracted, despair, miserable, unhappy, taking to drugs, because they don't find an answer. So when you look around the world, all over. Man is asking, what is it all about? Communism in Europe has completely failed. No longer things people think in terms of communism. They see it leads to bureaucracy, autocracy, misery. Suppression. 
There was a very famous writer, Rus Russian writer. His books were published in Europe. And now the literary club of Russia has dismissed him. That means he can't get a job, he can't write, he can't have a house, he can't have a home because he expresses what he wants. Right? Now, seeing all this in Asia, in Europe, North America and South America, Moscow, everywhere, what is man to do? You understand my question? He doesn't want to go the old way. That is the old way, go to the office, get married, a family, the response, you know, wars, hatred, competition. He doesn't want all that anymore. But are caught in it. He may not want it, but the machinery is so strong, they're caught in it. So he's asking what he's want to do. They say also, God is dead. You understand? They don't believe in God anymore. Except perhaps in this country you do, because just repeat, that means nothing. And also they say, kill the mind. The mind being thought. Look what thought has led us to. To a society, to a culture that's competitive, ruthless, producing wars, misery, chaos in the world, and so they say, destroy the mind. Do you understand what I'm talking about? They are questioning everything, and you must. Your habits, your traditions, your values, moral values, ethical values, your uh, society, your culture, your tradition, everything must be questioned. Otherwise, if you don't question, you'll never find out. And because they have questioned, they've gone to the moon. Technologically, they have questioned. You understand? They said, why shouldn't we go to the moon? And so they have worked to, to bring about that uh, Apollo 13th or the 12th or the 10th. It has taken 300,000 men more working together. Together, you understand? not competing each other, working together to produce that thing, each working minutely, carefully. I don't know how many million parts there are in that thing, and each must function perfectly. 
It's a real question, deeply. All the scientific values, and therefore they produce, create a machine that can go to the moon and do all kinds of extraordinary things, but they don't question inwardly. You understand what I'm saying? Inwardly. They don't say, now, why am I living for? What is it all this about? What is this world about? Not according to Shankara, Buddha, X, Y, Z, that's all finished. Because if you, if you question, you must question everything, not say, well, I won't question Shankara. I won't question Buddha, I won't question whatever the teacher is, Guru or Sri Krishna. You must question everything. And you're going to question me, the speaker. Everything. So that you find out for yourself. So that you you create a new human being in the world. Not the human being that repeats, 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 passes exams, goes to college, gets a job, family, and then dies working in an office. What for? Right? So that's what we are going to do. When you when we talk together, when you, when you and I are going to talk things over, we are going to question everything, including what the speaker says, me. So don't accept anything, but question, find out, learn. So, what is one to do? You understand? The house is on fire. Not only your little house, but the house of your neighbour, whether he is ten thousand miles away or just beyond the hedge. The world is on fire. And you must do something. Not simple. Gita says this, or the Upanishad says that, or Shankara says this. That has no meaning anymore. And I doubt if it had many, many meaning in the past either. So, we are confronted, faced with a problem of a man who is completely lost, uncertain, 
He says, Where am I to turn to? Churches have failed, gurus have failed, education has no meaning, politics have just a filthy affair. So he says, What am I to do? Where am I to look? Are you following all this? <laughs> Are you following all this? So, you see, before man has relied on his environment to shape him. The society has shaped him, culture has moulded him, economic pressures, climate, what he eats has conditioned him. You are conditioned as Hindus. Believing in something, and you believe in it because you have just been brought up, that's a propaganda, been told by your father, by your neighbour, by your aunt, by your society, believe. And from childhood you are brought up that way, and you believe. In the Catholic world same thing is happening. Propaganda. The repetition has conditioned human beings. You understand? Why do you call yourself a Hindu and somebody else a Muslim or a Buddhist or that? Because they have been told. You are a Hindu, behave like a Hindu. God knows what it means, but behave like that, think like that. So you are conditioned. And when you are conditioned, you are separate from other conditioned entities. You understand? If I call myself a Hindu, which I don't, if I call myself a Hindu, an Indian patriotic, waving the flag and all that, Tommy Rod, hmm? you, a Muslim, where is our relationship between you and me? We fight each other, we kill each other, because I believe in one thing and you believe in another. So any form of conditioning must divide people. You, you get it? Is this somewhat clear? <coughs> that is basically the cause of this revolt. They don't realize it. 
in America. I've, I've tra- talked a great deal to great many young people, thousands of them, over the radio, television. That is the basic cause of this revolt, right through the world. They don't realize it. They don't see the meaning of it, which is that human beings, you, are conditioned by your environment, by your culture, by the books you read, by the sacred mm, books, by the rituals. All that conditions you, shapes you. And you are shaped in one way living in Europe, and somebody else is shaped another way living in Russia, in America, and so on. So there is division. And where there is division, there must be conflict. You understand all this? You know, there is a war going on in the Middle East between Israel and the Arabs. Within few miles, one is called an Arab, believing in Allah and all the rest of that business, and the other, Israel, who believe in something else with their nationalism. One is fighting in the other. Both are conditioned and both are teachers of truth. You understand all this? So even the most ardent Marxist, you know what Marxists are? Oh, my Lord! <laughs> are saying unconditioning. Is it possible to uncondition the human mind, of which we have been talking about for 40 years? They just picked up. So we are saying that the cause of strife, of violence, why man doesn't live at peace with each other, is this division between human beings, not only verbal divisions, you understand, verbal, that is, word like Hindu, a word, Muslim and so on. These words create divisions. Your rituals, opposed to my rituals, create division. Your nationality against my nationality create division. Your God, my God, we and they, this all cause division, contradiction, and therefore strife. Right? So the fundamental question is, whether man is it can man free himself from his conditioning? Can the mind, which is so trained, so conditioned, can it free itself, break through and be free? If you cannot answer that question, you are bound to create trouble. 
You are bound to create wars. There will be conflict in you and outside of you. Any amount of your meditating, going <coughs> worshipping and all that has no meaning anymore. That's just an escape. So you have to answer this question. And that is the basis of education, not merely passing some silly exams, the torture of exams. Education implies that you learn, learn to observe, to look, and to see what is happening around you and inside yourself. And so there it is. Can you, can a human being uncondition his mind? It's really a very complex question. Needs great deal of going into. And when that gentleman said, will you talk about psychological mutation, this is what it means. Can the mind, the brain, as well as the whole structure and the nature of mind, can it explode, break away from all this tradition, from its conditioning? The second extract is from the third talk in Sarnen, 1980, titled Our Actions Are Based on Values. As one observes, our action is based on ideas. Ideas are more important than action. Right? I wonder if you... Please... <coughs> We are talking together, I'm not just going, talking to myself. Ideas or ideals is the platform, is the background from which we act. Right? whether those ideas are personal or evolved through a um, great many centuries or sanctioned by organized religions, we are, we move, live with ideas. Right? Ideas may be symbols, memories, experiences, conclusions. Ideas create values, right? 
values which are satisfactory, desirable, worthwhile, have significance. And having established those values based on ideas, right, we act according to those values. And those values are created by thought. Can we proceed? Right? So our action is based on values. And these values are brought about by constant adjustment to adjustment to circumstances, to one's character, to one's desire, to one's social, environmental condition. Right? So our actions are based on values which are the product of thought. Right? Can we go on? Because we are going to point out presently that a mind that has values is very limited. Because those values are created by thought, by desire. Right? And therefore, action is always limited. Right? And if we examine our actions, that is, whole of life is action. All life is action. Speaking, walking, thinking, acting from knowledge, responsibility, friendship, the whole of our existence is action. Whether that action is directed by a value or by an experience or sanctioned by society or culture and religion. Right? We are moving. Are we... Right? So we are asking, this has been the pattern of our existence. Each person creating his own value. What is important, what is not important, what is worthwhile and not, what is comforting, what is desirable, and so on. So we are asking, is there an action which is not based on value? You we are, may we? So that is, 
as we said, our action is based either on past memories, past values, or present values, or future ideals. Right? That should be that which has been and that which is. Yeah? So our action is a continuous, constant movement of the past through the present, modifying itself into the future. Then I wonder if you're meeting are we meeting each other? Yes, sir? Good. At least somebody <laughs> So we are our actions are always based on the past. There is no spontaneous action. Can we move along? Please, don't agree with me. Everybody is talking about more or less spontaneous action. There isn't such a thing. It is essentially based on past memories, past values, modifying itself constantly, but essentially rooted in the past. And therefore, there is no spontaneous action. And then one asks, what is correct action? If action is not based on the past, on values, because they limit action, because they are the outcome of thought, which is the result of knowledge. Right? We've been through that. So is there action which is correct under all circumstances, not based on values? You are, have, am I putting the question rightly? Are you meeting with me? Because it's very important to find out if there is freedom in action, now we think there is freedom in action because we can do what we want. That is the prevalent uh, fashion to do each one what he likes without the, the father or the government on your back. And that freedom has led more or less to this present chaos each one doing exactly what he wants. So one must find out for oneself what is right action, not based on concepts, ideals, values. Right? Do we want to find out? (laughs) 
No, so this is, this is not a game we are playing. It's not something that you do one, some, one this morning and forget all about it. It touches our daily life. And therefore it's very serious. And it's a very serious question to ask. Is there an action which is not based on Marxism or on Christianity or on Hinduism and all the rest of it, or on any human values which are the product of thought? Right? Therefore one must ask this question whether there is a right action under all circumstances. So one must go into the question, what is right? One will say, what I think is right, or I have a certain belief and according to that I act, and that's right. Or I have experiences which have shaped my action and therefore they're correct. Right? And we, and I'm, we are pointing out, if women may, that all these such expressions of action is prejudice. A prejudice which is which has something common with ideals, right? I wonder if you're following all this. Your prejudices form your ideals. Whether those prejudices are carefully culturally cultivated or religiously adopted, such action is essentially based on values. And we're asking, is there an action which, which, has, which is not based on any of this? Right? Because that is freedom. Otherwise, you're, it's like being tied to something, and therefore every action becomes corrupt. I wonder if you follow all this. If I am tied to a belief, naturally my action will be according to that belief, and therefore limited, and therefore corrupt. Right? You may not agree, but please examine it first before you agree or disagree. We are using the corrupt, the word corrupt, which means rompre, the root of that word is rompre, to break, to fragment, to bring about fragmentation. That's the root, the root meaning of that word corrupt. So our actions are 
corrupt. Never hold. And to find out what is correct action, one must be actually free from all values. Right? Please see the logic of it or the sense of it. Now, what is correct action? Correct. The word correct means precise, actual, not distorted, which must be constant. Right? That's the meaning of that word correct. Not your meaning, give meaning to that word correct, or the speaker gives it. The dictionary gives that meaning, which means an action which does which is constant, which never varies under any circumstances. Precise not based on any romantic, sentimental imagination. Right? Oh, following it. Yes, sir? And is there such correct action? Action being not based on some principle, not based on some ideal, not the result of personal or cultivated values, otherwise it is corrupt action. You are going to find that out. A mind that is tied to an idea, to a concept, to some value, or to a person, action springing from that must always be corrupt. Right? That is, if I am attached to a person, and that attachment is going to dictate my action. <coughs> Obviously. If I am attached or tied to a belief, my action will be according to that belief, and therefore my action is corrupt. If I act according to my experience, knowledge, and knowledge being always limited, my action will be corrupt. You understand what we are saying? It is totally different from everything that we have been said. 
and we are saying, is, is there an action which is incorruptible? And we say there is. Which comes, please follow this now, which comes when you observe, not analyze, when you observe the consequences of values, how the values are created, how, when you are attached to an idea, concept, a person, such action is invariably destructive, corrupt, limited. If this is so, by observing, not analyzing, they come to an end. Have I making myself? That is, I'm attached, suppose I'm attached to a symbol, whether the symbol be of the, in the church or I've created my own symbol through mythology and so on and so on. Those symbols are created by thought. I'm attached to the symbol. And I act according to that symbol. The result is conflict not only against your symbol, against your belief, but also conflict in my daily action. That is, see what you are attached to, tied to, to your name, to your family, to your brother, sister, father, wife, girl, boy, whatever it is, to the bishop or to the pope or to some other person. If you are, just observe it. But if you like to be attached, if you like all the consequences of the attachment, you're perfectly welcome. You know, nobody is going to stop you. But if you want to find out how to, whether there is an action which is incorruptible, which is correct under all circumstances, then you have to be free from all values from all attachment. Because when you observe attachment, it is, it is intelligence that is seeing the whole process of it, not analysis. Are we So, where there is intelligence, there is correct action. Intelligence is not knowledge, is not accumulated information. Where there is insight into the attachment, that insight is 
intelligence, and from that intelligence there is correct action. Right, sir? Don't look at me, not worth it. But look at yourself and find out. Because man has lived with corruption for a million years. And all his actions must be corrupt, must bring chaos, conflict. And his actions are based on ideals, on concepts, on values, which are all the product of thought. <coughs> there is no divine absolute value. even though the priests may say that. When they do say it, it is their, the activity of their own thinking. So, there is an action which is completely whole, completely incorruptible, in daily life, not somewhere in heaven. That is, can, I, can a human being live in this world with that intelligence? That intelligence is born out of insight, for an example, into attachment. Insight. Insight means having full comprehension of the whole process of attachment, immediately. You understand what I'm saying? You all must have an insight to something or other occasionally, where that insight is not memory, is not the process of value or a conclusion, it is a, more, a, a, a second of complete comprehension of that which you see, totally. And that is the essence of intelligence. And that intelligence is not yours or mine, and therefore it's always acting correctly. Will you try it? Do it? Do it as we are sitting here, not when you go home. As you are sitting here, observe yourself, observe your action with regard to your wife, to your husband, to your neighbour, to your politics, to your religion, whatever it is. And can you have, without analysis, a, a perception, a seeing the whole consequences and the cause of this attachment instantly, immediately.
because that implies the freedom from time. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's third talk in Ojai, 1949, titled We Have Taken Our Values and Beliefs for Granted. I do not see how we have any foundation for right thinking without self-knowledge. How any action, however inclusive, however collective, or individual, they might be, it might be, there is no possibility of a harmonious and true action without knowing fully oneself. Without knowing oneself, there is no possibility of really searching out what is true, what is significant, what are the right values in life. Without self-knowledge, we cannot go beyond the self-projected illusions of the mind. Without self-knowledge, as we explained, in which is implied not only the the action of relationship between the individual and another individual, but also the action of relationship with society cannot bring about a complete harmonious society without this knowledge. And so it is really very important and significant that one should know oneself as completely and as fully as possible. And is this knowledge possible? Can one know oneself integrally, not partially? The total process of oneself. Because as I said, without knowing, One has no basis for thinking. One gets caught in illusions, political, religious, social illusions that are limitless, endless. And is it possible to know oneself? And how is it possible to know? What are the means, what are the ways, what are the processes? I think to find out What are the ways? One must find out first, mustn't one, what are the impediments? And by studying what we take as important in life, which we have accepted, the values, the the standards, the beliefs, the the innumerable things that we have accepted and do accept, and by examining them, perhaps we shall find out the ways of our own thinking and thereby know ourselves. That is, 
by understanding the things that we accept and revaluing them, questioning them, going into them. In that very process we shall know the ways of our own thinking, our own responses, our reactions. And through them we shall know ourselves as we are. Surely that's the only way we can find out the way of our thinking, the responses. Only by you know, studying, going into fully, into the values, into the standards, into the beliefs that we have accepted for generations. And seeing behind these values, we shall know how we respond, what are our reactions to them. And thereby, perhaps we shall be able to uncover the ways of our own thinking. In other words, to know oneself, surely, is to study the responses, the reactions that one has in relation to something. One cannot know oneself through isolation. That's an obvious fact. And it's only in relationship that one can know oneself as one is. So perhaps by studying the things that we have accepted, by going to them fully, not superficially, then perhaps we shall be able to understand ourselves. Now, one of the things that seems to me that most of us so eagerly accept and take for granted is the question of belief. I am not attacking beliefs. What we are trying to do this evening is to find out why the mind, why we accept belief. And by perhaps understanding the motives, the causation of acceptance, then we may be able to not only understand why we do it, but also be free of them. Because one can see obviously how political beliefs and religious beliefs, national and various types of beliefs, do separate people, do, do, does create conflict confusion and antagonism, which is an obvious fact, and yet we are unwilling to give them up. There are the Hindu beliefs, the Christian beliefs, and the Buddhists, and innumerable sectarian national beliefs, various political ideologies, all contending with each other, trying to convert each other. And obviously, one can see that belief is separating people, creating intolerance, and is it possible to live without belief? One can only find that out if one 
can study one, oneself in relationship to a belief. Is it possible to live in this world without a belief? Not change beliefs. Not substitute one belief for another. But to be entirely free from all beliefs so that you meet life anew each minute. Which is after all the truth. To have the capacity of meeting everything anew without the past conditioning reaction. From moment to moment. So that there is not the cumulative effect which acts as a barrier between oneself and that which, that which is. Obviously, most of us accept or take on beliefs because first there is fear. Because we feel that without a belief we should be lost. Then, there, we use belief as a means of conduct, as a pattern according to which we direct our lives. And also we think that through belief we, there can be a collective action. So in other words, For action, we think belief is necessary. And is that so? Is belief necessary for action? That is, is. Belief being an idea, is ideation necessary for action? Which comes first, an idea or an action? Surely action, then either is pleasurable or painful, and according to that we build up various theories, and then from that proceed to act. Therefore, action comes first, surely, does it not, or invariably. And when there is fear, when there is the desire to collect many to, in order to act, then the ideation comes in. Now, if one considers this, you will see that the desire to accept a belief, as I said, one of the reasons is fear. Because if we had no belief, what would happen to us? 
and we will be very frightened of what is going to happen. If we had no pattern of action based on a belief, either in God or in communism or in socialism or in imperialism or in some kind of religious formula or dogma which, in which we are conditioned, We would feel utterly lost, wouldn't we? And is not this acceptance of a belief, the covering up of that fear, the fear to be really nothing, to be empty, After all, a cup is only useful when it's empty. And a mind that is filled with beliefs, with dogmas, with assertions, with quotations, is really an uncreative mind, it's merely a repetitive mind. And to escape from that fear, that fear of emptiness, that fear of loneliness, that fear of Stagnation, not arriving, not succeeding, not achieving, not being something, not becoming something. Yes, surely, one of the reasons, is it not, why we accept so eagerly and greedily believe. And by a true acceptance of beliefs, do we understand ourselves? On the contrary, A belief, religious or political, obviously hinders the understanding of ourselves. Then it acts as a screen through which you are looking at yourself. And can we look out at ourselves without beliefs? If you remove those beliefs, the many beliefs that one has, one has, is there anything to look at? And if you have no belief with which the mind has not identified itself and therefore the mind without identification is capable of looking at itself as it is, then there surely is the beginning of understanding of oneself. And if one is afraid, if there is fear, which is covered over by belief, and in understanding belief, one comes to face to face with fear, without the screen of belief, is it not possible to be free from that reaction of fear? That is to know one is afraid and staying there without any escape. To be with what is 
is surely much more significant, much more worthwhile than to escape from what is through a belief. So, one begins to see that there are various forms of escape from oneself, from one's own emptiness, from one's own poverty of being. such as knowledge, such as amusement, various forms of addictions and distractions, learned and stupid, clever and not worthwhile. And we are surrounded by these, we are them. And if the mind can see the significance of the thing to which it has held, then perhaps we should be face to face with what we are. As we are, whatever it is. And I think moment we are capable of doing that, then there is a real transformation. Because then there is no question of fear. Because fear only exists in relationship to something. Then there is you and something else to which you are related. And when you dislike that thing to which you are related, and try to avoid it, then there is fear. But when you are that very thing, then there is no question of avoidance. A fact gives only fear when you bring an emotional reaction to it. But a fact when faced as it is, there is no fear. And when what we call fear is no longer named, but only looked at, without giving it a term. Then again, surely, there takes place a revolution. There is no longer that sense of avoidance or acceptance. So, in understanding Believe, not superficially, but why the mind attaches itself to various forms of beliefs. Why beliefs have become so significant in our lives. Believe about death, about life, what happens after. If there is God, if there is no God, if there is reality, if there is no reality. Various political beliefs. Are they not all indicative of our own sense of inward poverty? And are do they not reveal 
a process of escaping or act as a defense. And in studying our beliefs, do we not begin to know ourselves as we are? Not only at the upper levels of our minds, of our consciousness, but deeper down. And so, the more one studies oneself in relationship to something else, as believe, the more the mind becomes quiet. Without this false regimentation, without false, without compulsion, the more it knows itself, the more quiet it is, obviously. The more you know something, the more you are familiar with it. And the more the mind becomes quiet. And it is only when the mind is really quiet, not made quiet, There's surely there's a vast difference between a mind that is made quiet and a mind that is quiet. You can compel a mind by circumstances, by various disciplines, tricks and so on, to make it quiet. But that's not quiet. That's not peaceful. That's death. But a mind that is, that is quiet because it understands the various forms of fears and because it understands itself. Such a mind is created. Such a mind is, is renewing itself constantly. It's only the mind that's self-enclosed by its own fears and beliefs that, is, that stagnates. But a mind that understands its relationship to the values about it not imposing a standard of value, but understanding. Surely such a mind becomes quiet, is quiet. It's not a question of becoming. It's only then, surely, that is capable of perceiving what is real from moment to moment. Reality is surely not something at the end. an end result of a cumulative action. Reality is to be perceived only from moment to moment. And it can be perceived only when there is not the accumulative effect of the past on the moment. 